You know, I was thinking the other day, <clears throat> the return of Jesus could really take place at any time. But should he tarry, we have a lot to do. There's a lot for us to do. There's more to do than just to wait until we die. We have a lot to do. The church has been called to preach the gospel to every creature. Every human being needs to hear the gospel. The word preach in that passage when Jesus said that doesn't mean to stand and proclaim uh, as, a, as a public crier. The word literally means to say as you go. Our lives should be a testimony of Jesus Christ, the fact that he's alive. I mean, the early church, obviously, they believed that was their mandate. And they believed that they could win the world to Jesus. I mean, they really believed that. In fact, they were accused one time of turning the world upside down. Because of just they knew that's what they were supposed to do. And our desire has to be for our nation, for our city, uh, for, for the places that we frequent daily. What I notice, just in observation, not so much our church, but the church at large, is I notice that there's a an attitude of entitlement. Where over the past many years, uh, the, the, the doctrine of grace <clears throat> has been taught in a way that makes people think that there's nothing for us to do and that God owes us something and that we're entitled to something just because of his grace. And, and they're, 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 they're led to believe that everything is up to God and that everything that happens must be the will of God. And they've lost the will or, or have never been taught that there's a need to fight a fight of faith. There's a need to fight in, in intercession. There's a need to fight in, 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 in the words that we say. Scripture says in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give you the kingdom. For many, that, that means that the kingdom is mine and I don't have to fight for it because God has given it to me. Uh, for, for some, it, it just means there's not anything for me to do because the kingdom was given to me. Well, Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 11, and I'm more inclined to go this way. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, he said, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That's interesting. The father, he said the Father wants to give us the kingdom. But then he said, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God is ours as a gift, just as the promised land was Israel's as a gift. Because he told them, I'm giving you the land. He promised that that was their gift. But it must be taken by force. It's more than just sitting and waiting for it to happen. The Israelites had to go into the promised land and they had to take it by force. I always think of it this way when I think of that scripture. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I remember growing up every now and then on my birthday, I would get a present when we were little. My sister and I were little. And I would, I, the, my parents would hand me the present and my sister decided for some reason that it was going to be her present. Okay, now they were giving me the present. Sometimes I had to take it by force. <laughs> Otherwise, she was going to get it. 
Okay, the kingdom is ours. It's the gift of God to us, but we must take it by force. There is a fight of fight, a fight of faith to fight. What I, what I, what I realize is that many today have never been taught to fight a fight of faith. They've they, they've been they've been in churches where not, not, I'm not trying, trying to be critical of people, but oftentimes we're wanting so much to be politically correct that we don't point out what the Bible says about an issue or about a situation. And we want people to be comfortable so they will come back. And I understand we want them to be comfortable enough to come back so they can hear the gospel, but they have to know how to live a Christian life successfully and victoriously, and that is not handed to us on a silver platter. Okay, it's handed to us by God, but we must fight a fight of faith. We've been called to be witnesses. The Bible, Jesus commissioned us to be witnesses. That means in our life, the word witness comes from the Greek word martus, which we get the, the English word martyr from. In other words, what it's talking about in being witnesses is living our lives to the degree that we're willing to live, not just die for Christ. That everything we do is a testimony of him. And I'll tell you, it's a fight to do that. It's a fight to stand strong in him all the time. We've been called to live a life of overcoming, a life of victory. I know what the world needs to see is not a wimpy church, but victorious Christians. People who know how to walk with God. It's time for the church, I think, to quit, to quit whining and start winning. And quit demanding my rights and take up my ministry. And learn how to serve who God tells me to serve. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit is upon us to be witnesses. Not just so we can pray in tongues, though praying in tongues gives us the strategies of God. But I'm telling you, it's so that we can be the Christians we're supposed to be. I love the scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, this verse changed my life many years ago. When the script, I read the scripture, it says, Now thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. When I read that the first time I recall reading, I think I read it before, but I recall reading it, my life was a total mess. I mean, Tammy and I, we lived in a little shack and we had two cars and the second one blew up that afternoon and the first one had already quit working and my, I had to, my health was terrible. Uh, I mean, life was awful. And one day I remember reading that verse of scripture and I, I saw it and it said, Now thanks be unto God which causeth us to triumph, always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And I remember sitting there thinking, either the verse is a lie or my life is a lie. And that day I began to fight. I had never heard anybody preach a single sermon about confessing the word. I had never heard a single sermon about believing what God said more than anything else, but I knew that I knew that if, any, if anything was a lie, it wasn't God's word. And so I began to believe that word, that verse of scripture, I began to believe it. And I'm telling you, it wasn't overnight, but our lives turned around because we chose to believe him. We are anointed to win. And based on my testimony, I know this, we will win if we don't give up. If we just stay with what God says. Jesus intends for the church to be empowered. 
He intends for us to be empowered with the Spirit to the degree that the gospel is preached, proclaimed, and lived with a demonstration of His power in our lives. What's happened is, is that many times you get to be you know, in our age group and, and you fought a lot of battles and we feel like it's time to sit back. But I tell you, there's much to do. We're supposed, we're supposed to see God move in signs and wonders. Jesus instructed us that signs and wonders would accompany the preaching of his word. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, he said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but, in, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. He said, we preach this. what we preach isn't just words. He said, there's power that accompanies it. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It will change things around us. The scripture tells us we've not been given the spirit of fear. That word there literally means we've not been given a spirit of timidity. Christians should not be timid. We, we, we overcome that by power and love and a sound mind. I mean, we need to be people who are supposed to be. So here's what I know. If we're going to reach the world do what God's called us to do, our task is impossible. Just quite frankly, it's an impossible task. Just think about accomplishing the will of God for our lives, accomplishing the will of God for the church. Much of the church today, we spend begging God to do something about the ungodliness of our age. We pray lots of prayers. Oh, God, do something. Do something about it. We're praying prayers that are really not more, much more than just a tearful rehearsal of the facts. Oh, God, our country's a mess. Oh, God, my life is a mess. Oh, God, my health is a mess. Oh, God, whatever we're praying, we're just telling him the facts. Do you realize he knows the facts? I mean, when I told him, that's not when he found out about it. We just, we, we rehearsed that. The church has become some sort of, we, we think we're like a news uh, reporting agency to God. That we're just letting him know because, okay, it's a mess. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? What, what's going to happen? The church is wishing God would do something. Now we call it believing, but we're just, for the most part, the church is wishing it would happen. We're not even hoping. Hoping is a confident expectation, scripturally speaking. But we, we, wish, we, we wish God would do something. So that takes me to this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 20. Now in Mark chapter 9, the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has gone to the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. They've encountered Moses and Elijah, but more than that, they've encountered God. And God spoke to them. They got a revelation of Jesus more than, than they'd ever had before. They come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They get down to the bottom of the mountain and they meet a group of people. And his disciples, the other uh, nine disciples, had been trying to cast a demon out of a boy. And they're not having very much success with it. Okay, so they get down and, and, and Jesus finds them. And in verse 20 it says, And they besought and they besought him, they brought him unto him, the boy unto Jesus. And when he saw him, the boy, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Obviously, he wasn't delivered yet. And, his, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Verse 22, he says, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. 
This is an amazing statement. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible unto him that believeth. Now I'm going to get ahead of myself just a little bit. There's a lot of theology that goes around that says God is in control of everything. God is in control. God is in control. Can I just ask you a question? If God is in control, why does the man have to believe something? Why would he have to believe anything if God is in control? Just thinking out loud here. One, passage, one, one version of that passage says, The man said, If you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, If I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. We sometimes think we're waiting on God to do something. God is waiting on us to do something. In that passage of Scripture, the man said, if you can do something, help us. Jesus said, it's not a question of if I can do something. The question is, if you can believe. Because if you can believe, all things are possible. The word possible, the Greek word is dunata. It comes from the word dunatos, which means ability, power, or it has to do with one who is able and capable or one who is competent. He says, if you're able, if you're competent, if you're capable to believe, it shares the same root word with the word uh, dunamis, which means miracle power. And so the verse tells us there's supernatural power available that will cause us to be capable, able, or competent for any task, no matter how impossible it is, if we can just believe what God said. If we can just believe. You see, too much of the time we're spinning, spinning our wheels complaining to God about how bad things are. What we need to be doing is believing what he said about things. What did he say about it? What did he tell us? See, it doesn't matter how unqualified I was before. The moment I believe, God's power goes to work. It shows up and, and, and I'm energized and I'm made able to do whatever God called me to do. I just think that's a fascinating story. If, if you can do something, I mean, Jesus is like, if I can do something, if I can do something, sometimes we're like asking God, God, if you, if, can you just do something? He's like, can I do something? And the question isn't, what can God do? The question is, do we choose to believe? When we believe what God said, the impossible becomes possible. Now, does that mean it happens in 20 minutes? Maybe, but probably not. We have to continue to believe him. When we believe him, we've talked about this months ago, we talked about grace. Grace travels the channel of faith. And because when I believe him, it releases his grace through the channel of faith. And that's what we need is his favor in the situation. We need God's grace to come. When we believe the word, the faith of God will dominate the situation that we're in. Jesus dominated the devil. I mean, he dominated the storms. He dominated the demons. He dominated the sicknesses. 
I mean, Jesus believed what the Father said. In fact, he said, I only do those things I see the Father do. I say only those things I hear the Father say. And when he did what the Father told him to do and said what the Father told him to say, I mean the supernatural took place. And, of course, we have the idea, well, that was Jesus. Well, the reality is, is Jesus didn't do that as God. He did it as a man. And he demonstrated to us how to walk and live by faith. In fact, he says that he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. He intends for us to, to do the kinds of things he did. So we need to be people who, instead of being controlled by the circumstance, we need people who learn how to take control in the Spirit. Learn how to do what we're supposed to do. Learn how to walk in, a, in the authority of God and see that His purpose is made manifest in the world that we live in. I mean, it's an exercise of faith. It's an exercise of belief. But we need to take control of what God's called us to do. Many times... And I know you've heard it before, and you may have even said it. I don't want to argue theology with you, but we say, this, we say this, and it's a true statement. We say God is sovereign. We say that meaning that God can do anything he wants to do. Do you realize he can't do anything? Well, he does anything he wants to do, but there are things he can't do. He can't lie. I mean, Tammy preached a sermon one time, and it was seven things God can't do. And she found seven things that God will not and cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot change. I mean, there are things that God can't do. But we, we have this, this statement, oh, God is sovereign. Well, first of all, show me the chapter and verse where it says that in the King James New Testament. Not there. The King James New Testament does not say God is sovereign. When the King James Bible says, Lord God, the phrase Lord God, some other translations say, Sovereign God. But it comes from these two words in the Old Testament Hebrew, Lord God. Neither of those two words means sovereign. When you look those two words up, the word Lord is Yahweh. The word God is Elohim. Now, we understand God is sovereign. And the, in that, in that the, when you understand what the word sovereign means, but nowhere can you find that sovereign means in control of everything. It doesn't mean that in English. It doesn't mean that in Hebrew. Religion has given us the invention of this word sovereign that means God controls everything or that nothing can happen but what he wills. That's not really what the Bible teaches. You know, people say, oh, well, you never know what God will do. He will do what he said he will do. Whatever the word says is what God will do. He will always do the word. He will always do that. The, the definition of the word sovereign, this is from, uh, I think, I don't know which dictionary I got this from, but it means, it means paramount or supreme. It means having supreme rank or power independent or sovereign state or excellent. God is supreme. He is paramount. He, he has the highest rank and power. That's who he is. But nowhere does that word mean that he's in control of everything. And I'll show you that more here in just a minute. 
I know sometimes when I talk like this, it ruffles people's feathers, but I, I'm going to show you something. The Bible, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, God is in control and everything works together for good. Well, I know some people it didn't work together for good for. I mean, we can look at history. We'll find lots of people that it didn't work together for good. Ask those people in the Donner Party how good it worked out. Okay, it doesn't always work out together for good. And I'm not judging the Donners because I have no idea where their, where their hearts were. But the Bible has those words that everything works together for good, but it doesn't really say that. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It's a specific group of people, and it's talking in context. It's talking about people who allow the Holy Spirit to pray through them. And making and through that, the Holy Spirit works it all out for them. And that's what it's referring to. All right, This phrase, God is in control. I want you to think about this. If God is in control, is he in control of you? When you yelled at your wife, was he in control of you? The answer is no, he was not. Okay, when tonight you got the second piece of ice cream cake, was God in control of you? Did he make you, get, oh God's in control, he made me do it. Remember Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it? I think Christians say God made me do it a lot. <laughs> is, God in, is God even in control of you? See, we, we think, you know, he's in control. Listen, there's a, most of, there's a lot of times he's not even in control of me. Because I do things. He gave me a free will. And I can do what I want to do. Now, I want to serve him and do my best to do what he tells me to do. But if God is in control of everything... I can't say that if he's not even in control of what I do sometimes. He wasn't in control of whether or not I had two or three pieces of bacon for breakfast today. He wasn't in control. If I chose Rice Krispies or cream of wheat, I chose those things. So when we're talking about God being in control, oh, God's in control. Well, then why do we pray? Why did Jesus say to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? If God's will is being done all the time, why do I need to pray? It, 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 it doesn't make any sense. It's often assumed that because God is supreme, he's in control of everything, and then whatever is his will will be done. Let me read you a verse of scripture just so we can settle this one pretty quick. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's ask a question. Do some perish? They perish against his will. So his will in that regard is simply not being done. It's, it's just not being done. Do all come to repentance? No. No, sometimes even in the church people don't come to repentance. That's against his will. The will of God is for all to be saved. The will of God is for all to repent. Yet Jesus told us that the majority of people follow the wide path and don't enter in at the narrow gate. The majority of people violate the will of God. 
and don't accomplish what God told them to do. Think about these verses. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5. This is talking about Uzziah the king. It says, And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Well, it was God's will for him to prosper, but he only prospered as long as he sought the Lord. Uzziah had something to do with this. The scripture says this in Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. If it didn't, if, 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 if God's will happened to everybody, you wouldn't have the word ask. The verse would start with, it shall be given to you. But it says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. It's saying, you ask, you seek, you knock. The opening, the answering, all of those things are dependent upon a person asking, seeking, knocking. It doesn't just happen because I'm a good person or because God is in control of everything. Jesus said this in Luke 6:38, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. What happens if you don't give? None of the will of God happened because I have something to do with it. I get to make a choice. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I have to submit and I have to resist. The will of God is for me to be free of the trap of the devil, but I have to submit I have to resist. Some things are from God. Some things are from the devil. I must choose one or the other. That's pretty good, huh? He is sovereign. He is supreme. Yet in his sovereignty, he gave us a free will and he gave us authority in the earth. And that's where we need to be. God gave man authority. Think about this. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Jesus re restored authority to mankind at the resurrection when he said, he told him, he said, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. Go you therefore. He said, now I'm giving you authority to do the very same thing. The purpose of authority is to take control of the works of the enemy. Not be controlled by the devil not be controlled by the circumstance. We're assigned to plummet the kingdom of darkness, rescue those that are perishing. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be the ones who are in charge, not the devil and not the world system. Now, they can be in charge of their stuff, but I'm telling you something, they're not in charge of us. Amen. Amen. We have a job to do. we got to take control. So now, let me read you a passage of Scripture you're very familiar with. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read lots of verses here. Beginning in verse 1, of, and you know this, this story. It says, Now the Philistine gathered together, the Philistines gathered together their army to battle and were gathered together uh, in Sukkot, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephesdamnon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. I can't figure out what, what that's really talking about. It's just they set the battle in array. They weren't fighting anybody. There's a valley. 
Israel's on one side, the Philistines on the other side. Nobody's fighting yet. It says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood, that guy even bearing his shield was a pretty big guy. had to be pretty strong. So he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you. Let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you'll be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. <laughs> I think about this. You know the story. It's the story of David and Goliath. What David did on that day was absolutely impossible. It was impossible for him to, to beat this giant. But he never doubted the outcome. From the very beginning, he didn't doubt it and received the victory for, for the covenant people. When we look at this story I just read to you, who's in control? Is God in control? Not really. God's people are trembling. I mean, they're like up in the in the foxhole singing Kumbaya or something. But I mean, they're not out there fighting. Okay? They're not in control. The person who's in control here is Goliath. He is in control of the whole situation. He comes out twice a day. Every day for 40 days, and he challenges them and defies the armies of Israel. See, Goliath was the biggest guy they had, and I'm thinking what he really wanted was for Saul to come out, because Saul was the biggest guy they had. And every day, twice a day, he's intimidating them. I'm telling you, this is the way the devil works. He will preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it in your ears and in your mind until somehow you begin to believe it. Fortunately, David hadn't been there to hear all that junk. Goliath is in charge. Here's what I, when I read this story, every time I read it, why is Goliath in charge? And who gave him the authority to make the rules? He comes out there every day and he says, here are the rules. You kill me, we'll serve you. I kill you, you serve us. Every, he decided the rules. How did he get to do that? I mean, couldn't about, I don't know, a dozen of the brave Israeli guys, couldn't they have taken him out? Didn't they, have, didn't they have archers that could have snuck around behind him where he didn't have the armor? Couldn't they have done something? I don't know, but he's the one who was in charge. He was making the rules. That's the way the devil plays. I mean, today it's like he is making all the rules. And he's telling the church, you do it my way, And this is the way the contest is. And the church is singing Kumbaya up in the foxhole. (laughs) Because it looks absolutely impossible, doesn't it? I mean, we look at our nation today. We look at what's going on in the world around us. It looks impossible. It looks impossible. I mean, had David not arrived and taken control 
of this situation, the Israelites would have been enslaved. Can I tell you something? If the church doesn't take control, our families will be enslaved. Our communities will be held under the sway of the enemy. Our health will be captivated by, by the circumstances that are around us. We'll be enslaved to the curse of this world. But the world is defying the living God. It's defying the covenant that we have. It continually is doing that. And Christians are cowering down. Thank God for this story. David took control. The devil was in control, or or Goliath. David took control. He took control of the situation. Listen, David slew the giant long before he cut off his head. I mean, he knew. He knew. You know, he gets there, when you read the whole story, he gets there, and the Goliath comes out, and he goes, what do you get if you kill that guy? And, they, and his brother said, well, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. You get a big reward. You marry the king's pretty daughter. He said, wow, that's good. Look at somebody else. What do you get? <laughs> and his brother, his brother said, what are you doing up here? You're, you're just here to see the fight. David, I love what David said. He says, is there not a cause? See, there is a cause. That's why we have to live by faith. That's why we have to take control. We have to begin in our own hearts to take control of our little area of influence so collectively that area of influence can grow and grow and be stronger. That's why people have to be taught the Word of God. That's why they have to have faith. David took control. Number one, he took control because he knew that he had a covenant with God. And he knew Goliath didn't. In, in verse 26, it says, And David spake to the men that stood by him. This is what I just said. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He said, This guy didn't have a covenant. Why are we afraid? Why would we be backing down? David knew that even though he was a giant, that Goliath didn't stand a chance against the word of God. He knew that because of his covenant. He took control because he was anointed. I mean, Samuel had come and anointed him. The scripture says we have an unction from the Holy One. And we know all things. The word unction means anointing. We are anointed. David took control because he knew he had a covenant, because he knew he was anointed. He took control because he spent time meditating in song, meditating in the promise of his covenant. He's out taking care of those sheep, and he must have spent hours and hours singing and meditating and calling out on God, calling out on the promises of God. I mean, I think he took turns between singing and throwing rocks, but I, he, you know... <laughs> He was out there, man. He spent time. He meditated. I mean, based on all the psalms that he wrote, he spent lots and lots of time in the presence of God. Just he and those sheep and his harp or whatever he's playing and in the presence of God. Oh, man, he spent lots of time. I mean, he took control because he had won the smaller battles before. He remembered you see, sometimes Christians forget. That's why the communion is about do this in remembrance of me. We forget. 
we get to a hard time and we forget and our knees begin to tremble and we think, oh, this is too bad. This is too hard. You know what? It's not too big for God. It's not too big. In verse 34, it says, And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a a lamb out of the flock. (laughs) It's like the lion and the bear, they were like, I dare you to come after me. It says, And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. I love that story. I mean, he grabs the bear or the lion, whichever he's talking about, by the beard and smites him, either with his fist, with a rock, with a club. David was not afraid of them because of his covenant with God. I mean, you know, you're spending time in the presence of God all day, and all of a sudden a lion shows up. It's like you're nothing compared to him. And he knew that. And he grabbed the lion or he grabbed the bear by the beard and smote them. David had seen it happen. He said, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. I love this phrase. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. He's saying, you know what? The lion and the bear had more right than this guy does. (laughs) He's not in covenant at all. He said, I... The Lord helped me kill them, and I know this guy is next. I know God didn't go to that. See, this wasn't David's first time. Sometimes we read this story, and he goes down there and picks the five smooth stones, and we get sermons about what they were and all that stuff, and and the supernatural power of God that got on him swinging that stone. Listen, that wasn't the first time he threw a rock. I mean, I'm thinking thinking he was saying, look, Fluffy, watch this. See that flower? And he was picking them off. He knew what he was doing. He knew what was supposed to happen. He was out there with the sheep. He's killing lions and bears. He's he's throwing the sling. I mean, the Lord trained him in hand-to-hand combat. He wasn't afraid of Goliath. He wasn't afraid of the circumstance. He knew what he was going to do. He said in Psalm 144, he said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. He didn't go to the Philistine school of armor, but he sure went to the Holy Ghost school of fighting. And he knew exactly how and what to do. I mean, he spent hours learning to fight, throwing those rocks. He was trained, but he wasn't trained like Goliath was. He took control, and this is what I think is maybe one of the most important parts. He took control because of his words. He refused to say anything that disagreed with God's promise. I love it. He says, to, he says to Saul, he says, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. Let me give you my, my paraphrase of this. He looks at Saul and he says, Never fear. I am here. <laughs> and I'm going to kill this uncircumcised Philistine. I'm taking him out today. In verse 37, he said, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Because he said, is there not a cause? I think David couldn't understand why nobody had done it already. It was a great reward. They were in covenant. In verse 45 of that chapter, says, then David said to the Philistine, I mean, he's right there in the middle of it. His words are still right. 
He said, you come to me with the sword, the spear, and with the shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee and give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword nor the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Man, he prophesied <laughs> to that giant. I mean, I'm thinking Goliath was so confused, he didn't know what, what was even going on. This little pipsqueak comes out, and he's mad because he sent a boy out there. And David just prophesied to him. He prophesied the covenant. To the enemy. He reminded the enemy what God said. He spoke to him. He didn't back off from the word of God one little bit. He spoke the words of his covenant. Listen, if we're going to take control, we're going to have to know we have a covenant. An everlasting covenant. We have a new covenant. The scripture says it's a better covenant than the old one. It's mediated by a better mediator. It's kind of like saying, is a $100 bill better than a 50? Well, yes, because the 100 has the 100, but it has the 50 inside of it. We have the old covenant wrapped up in this new one. It's bigger and it's better. We have a covenant. We are anointed. You know, I'll tell you, we'd be amazed. at just how much the anointing would come on us when we step out in faith. The anointing comes on us. We have the, the Word and we meditate in the Word. We worship Him. We take the time to love on Him, to worship Him. And our worship isn't, isn't all this stuff about, oh, my life sucks and I hope you do something about it. Our worship is, God, I know You. You are the strength of my life. You are the answer to all the problem. You are my God. We've won battles in the past. I bet tonight if we went around the room and we started asking one another, what battles have you won? What battles did you see God win for you? I tell you, the testimonies would just be wonderful. God has done things for us. Listen, he didn't didn't get us this far to kill us right here. That's what the children of Israel thought. They said, he got us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness. That's ridiculous. Why would he go to all the trouble to get them through the Red Sea? He's going to kill them in the wilderness. Listen, we've won battles. God didn't take us from there to here so that our testimony would die here. So we'd go to our graves with the idea that somehow God is not faithful and that he's no longer able Listen, he is as faithful now as he ever would, as he ever ever has been because he is God. He can't even be unfaithful. He is faithful. And most of all, we have his word and we speak words of faith. Let me just say something. Real faith words win. Real faith words dominate. We've got to be people who take control. Listen, we have, we have our health, we have our families, we have our city, we have a nation, we have a Goliath to overcome. It's time for the church to take control. It's not one with carnal weapons. It's not against human beings 
Our battle is fought in the spirit realm with mighty weapons that come from God. It's a fight of faith. My fa- one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Every time I read one, it's my favorite one, but this is it right now. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.13 We, having the same spirit of faith, David said these words in song before, according as it is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. We take our stand of faith with our words. We take our stand of faith with our meditation. I love Proverbs 11, 11. It says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. What this is talking about is the blessing of the upright is the upright speaking God's word, saying it. That's what a blessing is. It's pronouncing something on someone or something. The blessing of the upright is when the upright stand and say, this city is God's city. You're not coming anymore. This is God's place. Listen, if the words of the wicked, if the words of the wicked can overthrow it, I'm telling you the words of the righteous will establish God's presence in the city. We've got to take control. We've got to take control. Jesus said, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except first he bind the strong man and then he'll spoil his house. This is talking about taking control. We take control. We have authority over the devil. David took control over Goliath. He took him out. We can take control in our situations, in our families. Just as David was skilled with his weapons, we must be skilled with God's word and skilled in our faith. We've got to speak the covenant. We, by, his, by our words, by his anointing, we'll bind the strong man. And we bind him, we'll spoil his house. Listen, we live by faith. And just like, if, I don't know if you, how many times you've read the Old Testament, but you're going to find out that after David killed Goliath, several other guys killed giants. He gave them permission and told them with his covenant it was possible. When we put the devil on the run, I'm telling you, others will begin to stand and they'll begin to put the devil on the run as well. We've got to take control. Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it's your plan and your will for your church to rise. It's your plan and your will to see that, that all things are possible to those that will believe. And Lord, if we will just take a stand with you, believe with you by faith in Jesus' name. We will see victory like we've never seen before. We'll see your kingdom expanded. Lord, tonight I thank you and I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.